From the heart of Dubai, this is Sports Unhinged with Mohammed Hamiz. And we are on. Hello and welcome to Sports Unhinged. My name is Mohammed Hamiz and whether you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app or if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, we are glad that you can be here with us in this episode. We are going to be reviewing week two of the NFL. But before I do that, let me start with boxing because we had one of the all-time great fights on Saturday night in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez in what, what is a fight that will go down in the history books as one of the greatest fights between rivals. This is a Hagler-Hearns kind of fight, and I hope we get the chance to see a third one because it definitely was close. Now, this fight ended obviously by a majority decision that went Canelo Alvarez's way. Two judges scored the fight, 115-113 to Canelo. One judge scored it, 114-114, which was a draw. And it was literally, it came down to a few punches, I think, at the end of the day. Now, when I watched it, I watched it the first time around. I thought it was a draw. I watched it a second time, had a pen and paper, went round by round. I had Canelo win four of the first six rounds. And I, I had Gennady Golovkin winning four of the last six rounds. So to me, it was a draw. If you really twist my arm, I would say it's a triple G win. It came down to the last round because if you look at the judges' scorecards, two judges gave the 12th round to Canelo Alvarez. Had one of them given it to triple G, I, I saw that it was a triple G round. Had one of the judges done that, it would have been a majority draw and we would have probably definitely have gotten a third, uh, a third fight between these two. But it was a fantastic fight. Now, all of you know I'm a Triple G guy. In the last episode, I predicted that Triple G was going to win. I felt that Canelo was coming in lighter, maybe on less steroids. I made fun of him. I had a little bit of fun on Instagram. I had a little bit of fun um, on the last episode calling him Canelo Alvaroid and all those kind of nicknames. But I have to say, and I have to give credit where credit is due, Canelo turned up. And we expected him to run, but he stood there toe-to-toe with one of the most brutal punchers in the sport. And he got hit clean a few times. Most people that get hit by Gennady Golovkin in such fashion end up horizontal, flat, on, on the canvas. Canelo stood there and showed us that he has a chin. In fact, I believe that had Triple G gone to the body earlier, he could have broken Canelo down and he could have gotten that knockout. And that's one of the main mistakes that I think Triple G had in his game plan is that he did not go for the rib shots and the low shots earlier in the fight because Canelo ran out of steam. Around round 8, round 9, he got cut, he slowed down. By round 10 and 11, he was moving backwards instead of forwards. But it was too late by then. It was too late in the fight for Triple G to start breaking Canelo down. But it was a fantastic, fantastic fight. Canelo stood toe-to-toe with one of the most brutal punchers in the sport. Now, for years, Triple G was seen as this boogeyman of the sport. Nobody wanted to fight him. Whoever he fought, he knocked out. All of the main stars did not want to fight him. It was one fight that changed that especially for Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy promotions, is the fight between Triple G and Danny Jacobs that went the distance. 
that fight made Triple G look more human. And that's when Oscar De La Hoya decided, now it's time for me to risk my cash cow, my best fighter against Triple G. And it worked out for them. But that let's not take anything away from Triple G. Triple G will go down as one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in history. This guy has defended his belt many times over. He was undefeated. This was his first loss, and we saw how hard he took it by not giving a post-fight press conference. I would like to see a third fight, and I would like to see it sooner than later, because if we wait a bit too long, Triple G would be a year older, a year and a half older. He might be slower. We saw a bit of his age catching up in, in, in the last fight. He got tired, and... Alvarez, I mean, what better way to cement your legacy than to do this for both fighters, than to to do this a third time and have a more clear winner? If Triple G comes back and beats Canelo, it would be absolutely, that's it. He he will set himself as one of the all-time greats. If Canelo comes back, Canelo's only 28, and he's already fought the best fighters in the sport. If he manages to get through this Triple G hurdle on the third fight, it would be absolutely fantastic. So... I'm hoping that we get to see a third one. But let's not forget that in the sport of boxing, corruption is there, bad decisions are there. And one thing I want to tell the fans, I mean, you you saw the reactions to this fight online. We saw Teddy Atlas on ESPN with Stephen A. Smith losing his mind, calling it a robbery, saying that it's outrageous. And Teddy Atlas, nine times out of ten, when he has this reaction, he, he is right. The sport of boxing stinks when it comes to bad decisions and judging and corruption and all that kind of stuff. He did the same with this fight, and I have to say, that's not the case. Not every time your favorite fighter loses a close fight, it's a robbery. In this case, we had a fantastic fight. I had it as a draw, possibly to Triple G, if you take one or two rounds. But it was a great fight, and it could have gone either way. It went Canelo's way. I'm absolutely fine with this decision. I wasn't fine with the first fight where it ended as a draw, and one judge, Adelaide Bird, gave the, I don't know, 10 rounds or 8 rounds to, 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 to Canelo. That was outrageous. But I have a few suggestions of how we can reduce this subjectivity in the sport of boxing. It will still be subjective. You always need judges. But instead of having three judges, why don't we have five? Joe Rogan has had this as a suggestion for the UFC, and he's mentioned it on his podcast so many times. Boxing needs that as well. Why not have five judges? Why is it down to three people? Is it because it will be more expensive to bribe five than three? I don't know. But if we have five judges, and another suggestion is if we have each round being, the scores for each round being called in between the rounds, so that the audience and the fighters know where they stand, I think it will make for some very exciting fights in boxing. It might drive the viewership way, way up in boxing. Because fighters will know, in this case, for example, Canelo Triple G, Triple G, although he thought he was winning the fight, will know that he is going in with a possible draw or a loss. And that means he might have to go for the knockout. We might have seen a different approach from these fighters. And the third suggestion that I have, five judges, round-by-round score announcement. And the third one is why not have the judges in a more controlled environment? Instead of them being out there in between the crowds watching the fight through 
the through the bottom rope, if they could be in a controlled environment in a room that is soundproofed with televised review systems and equipment, it might give us a more scientific outcome when it comes to judging and the scores. But it was a fantastic fight. It was a classic. It was an all-time great. And congratulations to Canelo Alvarez. And I hope that we get to see the third one. Now, before I move on to the NFL, let's stay in boxing. We all saw the day before the fight, of course, Floyd Mayweather, who is the biggest attention seeker there is, had to come out and try to take some attention away from the Canelo Triple G fight. He happened to run into Manny Pacquiao in a Tokyo nightclub. And he was heard saying that he was going to come out of retirement in December to, find Manny, to fight Manny Pacquiao once again. Now, if this is one of Floyd Mayweather's publicity stunts, like him walking into an octagon and asking people to bet on whether he's going to fight Conor McGregor in the UFC, or whether he's talking for real, I honestly don't care. There are a million fights I would rather see than Floyd Mayweather against Manny Pacquiao again. That fight came five years too late, the first time around. You bring it to us again, it will come, I don't know, eight, nine years too late. We don't want to see it. In fact, out of the fights that we have coming up this year, five of these fights I'd rather see, or I, I would want to see more than I would Mayweather and Pacquiao. Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. I would love to see that. I'd love to see Joshua versus Povetkin, and that's coming up in October, and we're going to be talking about it soon. George Groves versus Callum Smith. That's a more exciting fight to me than Mayweather versus Pacquiao. Danny Jacobs versus uh, Sergei Derevyashenko. I would love to see that. Billy Joe Saunders against Demetrius Andrade. That would be a fantastic fight as well. All of these are planned. I'm looking forward to these more than I would look forward to Mayweather Pacquiao. And if you want me to be a matchmaker and make other fights that I'd rather see, I'd rather see Errol Spence Jr. fight Sean Porter. I'd rather f see Sean Porter go back against Keith, Keith Thurman a second time. Because Keith wants his belt back. He had to vacate it because of injury. Even Amir Khan, who I hate watching, I would look forward to Amir Khan versus Kell Brook more than I would... Mayweather Pacquiao too. And if I have to see Manny Pacquiao, who is way past his prime, I'd rather see him fight someone like Lomachenko. Two fast guys, great reactions, fast hands, good footwork. That would be more compelling. After the Mayweather-McGregor fight, I am done falling for... Floyd Mayweather's money grabs. I'm seeing how much he's spending on Instagram. I'm guessing his money's, his balance is going down a little. And every time we fall for it, and yeah, he's one of the greatest, greatest defensive fighter in the world, but let's face it, that's not a fight that would be compelling. Manny Pacquiao is pretty much done. So that's it for, for our boxing review. Let's shift gears to the NFL. 
And this week, week two of the NFL was absolutely fantastic. It had so many, you know, one of those what just happened moments. For one, we got a draw in the NFL for the second week running. We had a player that retired at halftime, went to the locker room, changed into his street clothes, and walked out. We had Ryan Fitzpatrick continue his improbable, outstanding performance and turn up looking like Conor McGregor in the post-game press conference. We had the Browns coming so close to winning yet again, but their kicker let them down. And we had a semi-rookie in Patrick Mahomes throw six touchdown passes. We also saw Ezekiel Elliott sporting what looked like a sports bra after the fight, in his, after the, the game, in his interview. So all of, all of these things, I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic week in the NFL. Now, one interesting stat that we also saw is that there were 19 missed field goals or extra point attempts in week two. And let's start with the game that ended in a draw, which was the Green Bay Packers versus the Minnesota Vikings. And one thing about draws in the NFL is that no matter what happens, they they end up being more of a loss than, than a win. A draw does not really... You've never seen a team that gets into a playoff because of a draw. It's very rare. But it's kind of a consolation. And what we ended up seeing is Minnesota Vikings kicker Daniel Carlson, who was out of a job because he was 0 for 3, including an attempt from 35 yards that could have won the Vikings the game in, in overtime. But he wasn't the worst kicker of the week. The Cleveland Browns, Zane Gonzalez. If there was somebody that embodied a curse of a city... It is this guy. He missed two field goals and two extra points. That's a total of eight points that he was responsible for. And they ended up losing 21-18 to the New Orleans Saints. He had a chance to earn redemption, but he couldn't convert that 52-yarder that would have sent the game to overtime, and they ended up losing. Now, people like Dan Bailey, who are out of a job and they're veteran kickers, their phone lines are going to be very busy this week. And I believe Dan Bailey is already interviewing or he has a medical with, with the Minnesota Vikings. Let's see. But I'm still not worried about the Cleveland Browns. Their defense was absolutely fantastic. They're first in the NFL in takeaways. They've got eight takeaways. They're fourth in sacks. That team, and I will stick with my prediction... Will, their defense will, will, will win them five games at the least. Their offense will win them some games as well, and they will end up second in their division. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick had an unbelievable game. Four touchdowns for the second game running. And now the question that everybody's asking is, what happens when Jameis Winston comes back from his suspension to join the team. Jameis Winston, the franchise quarterback, the number one draft pick, 
What happens to him? And there's been a lot of debate. In my opinion, you, you stick with the hot hand. Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of these quarterbacks. He's a veteran. He's been around for a while. And he spikes in moments. And this is his moment. I mean, let's look at the, the statistics here. He, he passed for over 400 yards for the second week running. 402 yards, four touchdowns. Last week, he was 417 yards, four touchdowns. He's got a near-perfect 151.5 passer rating. And if he comes close to replicating that in week three, Jameis Winston might have to get used to holding a clipboard for a while. And this is a surprise in our division. I mean, my Carolina Panthers ended up losing a very close game against the Atlanta Falcons. And no one expected the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be a threat this year. So this is a a surprise for everybody. And that surprise is embodied with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, if we look at the Panthers game, usually I blame Cam Newton for most of our losses. He's inaccurate. He's a 58% completion, pass completion quarterback in his career. Yes, he is fantastic and he can run and he can do a lot of things that other quarterbacks can't. The one thing that the Carolina Panthers always have is their defense. They're always very reliable in defense. The Carolina Panthers have not let more than 100 yards rushing against them in 21 games consecutively leading up to the game against the Atlanta Falcons. So the last thing I expected, especially with an Atlanta Falcons team that didn't have their first choice running back in Devontae Freeman, who's out injured, they were with Tevin Coleman, who's a great running back and he's good he's a good receiving running back as well we conceded 170 yards rushing to the Atlanta Falcons that's not Carolina and I was very very happy when I saw that Ron Rivera publicly went after the the rush defense players in the team I even saw the great Luke Keekley, who's my favorite player in the Panthers miss quite a few tackles Because if we look at Cam Newton, he actually completed 71% of his passes. He was 32 out of 45. He passed for 335 yards. Kristen McCaffrey did his job. He had over 140 yards receiving and and, and rushing, actually 139 yards. Devin Funches was 77 yards, seven catches for 77 yards. The offense did okay, but the defense uncharacteristically threw that away for the Carolina Panthers. The Los Angeles Rams stomped the Arizona Cardinals 34 to nothing. The Cardinals generated only five first downs. It's time to bring in Josh Rosen. Something has to change. When a team goes, yes, you're up against the LA Rams, who I think with the performances that they've had in the last couple of weeks, the preseason predictions and odds that they might go all the way to the Super Bowl, those have been reinforced right now. But the Arizona Cardinals only went for 137 yards the whole game. The LA Rams, 432. So Todd Gurley, Brandon Cooks, Jared Goff, absolutely fantastic. And their coach, McVay, since he took over, he's coached 18 games. 11 of those games, the LA Rams have scored more than 30 points. They have an absolutely amazing offense and an even better defense with 
Aaron Donald, with Marcus Peters, with Akib Talib, and Damakan The Rams are officially scary, guys. Now, what could be more of a joke in the NFL than the Buffalo Bills? Vontae Davis, the cornerback of the Buffalo Bills, who made it to the Pro Bowl when he was in the Indianapolis Colts. He was drafted by the Miami Dolphins. He never really lived up to expectations. He was, he was let go from there. He went to the, to the Colts, made it to the Pro Bowl, and then got picked up by the Buffalo Bills. This guy has made over, as a cornerback in the NFL, he's made about $50 million in his career. He was on a $2 million guaranteed contract right now with the Buffalo Bills. With incentives, he could have made up to $5 million. And this guy was sitting there in the game, getting their butts whooped, the Buffalo Bills. And I think he got a raven, like an episode of Game of Thrones. He got a raven that told him, winter is coming. And you're in Buffalo, New York. It's going to be cold. It's going to be painful. Your team is terrible. Your starting quarterback from last week through picks and incomplete passes to the point where Nathan Peterman, when he, he threw one incomplete pass at one point in the game and his quarterback rating went up. That's how bad things were. And you have Josh Allen who's not ready yet to be an NFL quarterback. So Vontae Davis saw that and decided, I'm done. And at halftime, went to the locker room changed into street clothes, and left the stadium. Now, later on, he put up this retirement message on Instagram. And obviously, the first thing that I, first reaction that I had when I saw this was laugh out loud. But when you think about it, this is the most disrespectful way that somebody could leave a team. And it's going to stain his career regardless of the fact that his career is not full of accomplishments. But he'll always be known as the guy that quit at halftime. And the question that I have to ask, why go through OTAs and training camp and warm-up games and preseason games and practices, joint practices and fight for a spot on the roster and then suddenly decide that you don't want to play anymore? Let's not pretend that this is a decision that came to him as an epiphany just before halftime. Many players that came on the media to talk about this over the weekend explained to you that when you're contemplating retirement, this is something that you contemplate for a long time. It's months. You go into training camp and there's been a lot of players that quit during training camp. There are a lot of players that play in the preseason and decide, hey, I'm done. I don't think this is for me anymore. But to leave, in, this is the strangest thing that we've, we've, we've ever seen in terms of players leaving the NFL. Now, one thing that could compete in terms of what a joke the Buffalo Bills are and what just happened over the weekend is the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden. I just don't get it. You come back after 10 years, you get a 10-year contract, you promise to take the Oakland Raiders back to greatness. Last week, you lose, and you publicly call out your quarterback, Derek Carr, for not throwing to Amari Cooper. 
This week, Derek Carr has a statistically, he has perfect stats. Amari Cooper is 100 yard, yards plus. And then you, you come out and you say that there is a lack of pass rushing. You know what you're doing here, John Gruden? You're highlighting the fact that you traded away Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears. Because guess what that guy is doing over there right now? He's wreaking havoc through the NFL. They just whooped the Seattle Seahawks. And Khalil Mack had a lot to do with it. And his game time decisions as well weren't great, John Gruden. He ran the ball in the fourth quarter, quarter, which completely stalled the game. And they ended up losing. They were ahead and they ended up losing to the Denver Broncos. I don't know who the tank is on for first draft of the pick. Are we looking at the Raiders, the Cardinals, the Bills, or the Lions? Because those are the four candidates right now for the joke of the NFL. Now, I started with the Packers tie versus the Vikings, and I want to end my weekly review there because I feel that the Packers have been robbed once again of a win. There was a tackle by Clay Matthews, and I know I can't show you this on the screen. I can't play it back. But what I can show you is pictures of what happened there. Clay Matthews sacked Kirk Cousins, the Minnesota Vikings quarterback. In my opinion, in the softest way, a linebacker could, could, could tackle. You can see in the picture up on the screen right now that Clay Matthews even had his hand on the ground to soften the blow, to not put his weight on top of the quarterback. And yet he was called for roughing the passer. Now, I don't know. These kind of decisions right now, they make you go into conspiracy theories. Did somebody alert the zebras, the referees, that the Minnesota Vikings dropped a couple of billion dollars in the stadium that they hosted the Super Bowl in last year and that they wanted a bit of a payback? Or are we really turning the sport of football into a pillow fight? Because that's, that's what it looks like. Now, a lot of people came on TV and they were like, oh, th this, is, this is exactly what we need in the NFL. And all the Green Bay Packers fans that are complaining, let's not forget what happened to Aaron Rodgers last year when Anthony Barr put all of his weight on, An on Aaron Rodgers uh, in a tackle and fractures his, his uh, collarbone. And they were, they were out. This is, this is exactly why this kind of rule has been put in place, to protect the quarterbacks. What Anthony Barr did was a flag. That, that, was, that, was, that was a foul. What Clay Matthews did, he pretty much gently took Kirk Cousins down to the ground, almost read him a bedtime story, and kissed him goodnight. To get a flag for that, that was a game changer. It's, I just, I don't know what's happening to the, to the sport of football. Now, in other news, we saw another surprise move here. Josh Gordon got released by the Cleveland Browns. And the circumstances around his release are a bit kind of shaky. The, the good thing is that it's not to do with his substance abuse. Uh, it wasn't a relapse of any sort. 
seemed like he went for a late photo shoot and ended up injuring his hamstring, and he was on thin ice with the Cleveland Browns, and rightly so. And they just decided that they can, they can move on. Now, in, 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 in the past, I was like most people. I had a lot of sympathy towards Josh Gordon. He's a guy that has an, an addiction, substance abuse, uh, abuse, and you want these guys to get better. You're on their side. You're rooting for them to come back. But the way that he left right now and his reactions once he got released, his response, it was almost flippant to the point where it shows that there is no remorse for his actions. He went on Instagram and immediately was asking if any team needed a deep threat. And that indicates to me that now it's no longer about you being a sick person that needs to get better. But the fact that, you know, you, you might have an attitude problem. I hope I'm wrong. But for a Cleveland franchise, I cannot criticize them for letting go of Josh Gordon because that's an organization that has taken gut punch after gut punch for this guy and to have a guy with a top five talent at his position. And he let the Cleveland Browns down after they stuck by him for all that time. Cleveland is desperate for heroes at the moment. And they're relying on their defense. And Josh Gordon had an absolutely fantastic touchdown at the beginning of the season. They needed a guy like him. And who does he get picked up by? The New England Patriots. For a generous fifth round conditional pick. And that, round is, and that pick is conditional on him starting 10 games. They clearly wanted him gone. From New England's perspective, it's daylight robbery. New England seems to me sometimes to be the rehab center that kids go to after they get released from juvenile detention. And if this works out for Bill Belichick, if he actually manages to fix Josh Gordon, this would be the steal of the century. Because you're getting one of the top wide receivers in the NFL. So if that works out, and Lord knows Tom Brady needs some receivers right now, this would be absolutely fantastic. Now, let me wrap up the show with this. Michael Kendrick, who's an ex-Philadelphia Eagle linebacker, he won the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was let go. He joined the Browns. And then the Browns had to let him go because he pled guilty to inside, inside the trading. And reports were coming out that he could go to jail for up to 25 years. So the Cleveland Browns, and we saw this on the Hard Knocks documentaries, let him go. Now, I want to compare this to New England picking up Josh Gordon. I have absolutely no problem with that. You're taking a risk. It's a minimal risk. You're not spending much. You're actually paying him the minimum. And it could turn out for you. But the Seattle Seahawks ended up getting Michael Kendricks because KJ Wright is recovering from arthroscopic knee surgery. And they had Bobby Wagner who suffered a groin injury and he was out of the game earlier this week. I have a problem with 
the Seattle Seahawks playing or picking up Michael Kendrick? Because this is a guy that's pled guilty. He's not awaiting trial. He's pled guilty for insider trading. Now, this is the quote that came from Pete Carroll. He said that they've looked into everything. They feel that it was four years ago and that he showed that he was sorry for what he did and he showed some kind of regret. I have a problem with this because what the Seahawks are doing is they're making use of a player who could play a game today and get sent to jail for 25 years tomorrow. They're just waiting out the court system, the appeals. Once the appeal is done, this guy is going away for a long time. So that kind of left a, a sour taste in my mouth. I, I just don't like the way that that, that, that happened. And Whose place did he take? The twin brother, I forgot his name, who has a missing hand, who has been drafted with his brother this year into the Seattle Seahawks. The name escapes me right now. But what a fantastic story. He, play, he, he played the first game. He struggled a little bit. But to, for a soon-to-be-convicted felon, to take the place of a guy that has beaten the odds to become an NFL player, I take issue with that. Anyways, that has been our NFL and boxing rundown. Now, I know a lot of you guys are asking, when is the football, the soccer episode coming out? We've had an international break, and we just had uh, week five of the Premier League last week. I'm actually recording right now while an, uh, a Champions League game is, is, is ongoing. So we are going to have the next episode be an, exclusively, an exclusive football episode where we give you reactions to the, the, the Premier League, to the Champions League that are, uh, games that are taking place right now and what a fantastic draw we had in the Champions League. And I have something to say also about a certain... Lionel Messi being left out of the top three player, uh, the, the finalist for the player of the year award uh, given by FIFA. So that's what's coming up in the next episode. This has been Sports Unhinged. Thank you for watching and until next time, goodbye.